Okay, tonight we're going to, of course, continue on looking at those seven things from uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Tonight we're going to focus on the issue of God's presence. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, it says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, what we're talking about there is is that the presence of God was very real among the early church. In fact, if you go over to, I think in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John are arrested, it talks about later that when they were having their meeting together afterwards that God shook the place. So, verse 31, And when they prayed together, the place they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled all with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. So God's presence was very real among the early church. And so that's what we're going to focus on tonight, is we're going to talk about really praying for our church with regards to God's presence in our midst. Now, as soon as I say that, people have questions in their mind, exactly what in the world am I talking about? Or they've seen things, or they've had things emphasized in the past that have bothered them. So let's kind of talk about why we're looking at this. First of all, we're going to talk about the forgotten reality again. And I just want to point out four things as we move towards the question of God's presence, okay? First of all, many believers are confused about what the church is. That's We've looked at that statement for the last few weeks now, and, of course, that is a reality. You know, this is day six with that statement. Most people have a confusing concept of what church is or or what we should be doing in church. And it's all about what does the church offer? What is the church focusing? Is it ministering to my needs? And it goes on and on and on and on. And a lot of folks are just plain confused. In fact, if you go to people, even if you go to some pastors and you ask them to define what the church is, sometimes you'll not even get an answer especially from some pastors, they don't even know anymore what the church is. They just look at it in terms of a business model. And sadly, that's where a lot of churches are today, is following a business model. Okay, Now, here's what we're looking at. When we looked at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, here are the seven things that we've been focusing on. We've already looked at several of these already. First of all, the early church focused on God's word. They had a focus where they made the centerpiece of what they were doing God's word. They they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that is so important that everything we do, even when it comes to the issue of God's presence, God's word is at the center of everything we do. They also had fellowship. And the word koinonia there means an intimate time together. So they enjoyed being together with themselves. So that right in itself tells you that church has to be more than just a worship service. 
because the implication was is that they were fellowshipping together continually. They were spending time with each other. And it's more than just coming to a service. It has to be that. Worship, we talked about that with reference to the Lord's table. Worship coming from the heart in response to what God has done for them through salvation. Not talking about music necessarily, although music can be a part of that worship, but it's talking about a heart response to God because of salvation. Prayer, we focused on that last week, believing prayer. They prayed and and believed God to bring about what they were praying about. God's presence, that's what we're going to focus on tonight. And then sacrifice. We're going to see that they were willing to sacrifice for the needs of others around them. That was very much a um, characteristic of the early church. That was their focus. And then impact. Because of their focus in these other areas, they then were able to have an impact in the community as they saw people coming to Christ. Now, let's talk about God's presence. So here's two thoughts. And I can say this, I've been a believer for 30 years. And in the the circle of churches that I have been in, and even in my schooling and so forth, I'd say this is a pretty accurate statement I'm going to give you. Rarely do we think in terms of God meeting with us. I, I think that if you were to ask even the typical person who comes here to our church, that when they come here on Sunday morning especially, but when they come to other events within our church, I think if you were to say to them, did you enter into this place with an expectation of meeting God here? I think I, I think I would be on safe ground that most people, not all, there might be some who, who have a perspective, but I would say most people don't have that perspective. They don't, they don't think in terms of, I'm here to meet God. Their reasons for being here can be various reasons. Well, this is where my family has always gone. You know, my family started this church, and so my family's always gone here, and so this is where I've been. I've heard that. Uh, this is, you know, I'm coming for the teaching, or I'm coming for the music, or I'm coming because my family comes here. Or I'm, I mean, it just goes on and on. And they don't usually communicate that we're coming here because we sense God in this place. We sense his presence. We, we know we have to be here because God's here. And even when I use those statements, like what I'm doing right now, that, with some folks, may raise the hair on the back of their neck. Because, like, that just sounds so foreign, George. That almost just sounds weird. You're starting to sound like the guy on TV. Trust me, I'm not sounding like the guy on TV. But there is a sense in which what should be drawing you here should be a life that comes from the presence of God. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about somebody breaking out in a gift or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about life which comes from the presence of God 
in the midst of a group of people. And that life guides you. It, it brings about a holy fear of, you know what, God is in my life. I, I meet with God and, and he's very much aware. That's what was the attitude of the early church. But I would, I would have to say, even for myself, that rarely do we think in terms of God meeting with us. So because of that, we pursue substitutes for God's presence in our lives and in our church. We pursue substitutes for God's presence in our lives and in our church. And this could be anything. So, for instance, you could substitute the presence of God, and some, some do this, by having a certain style of music. Does the music, they'll even say things, does the music draw me into the presence of God? Folks, what draws you into the presence of God is the Holy Spirit, not music. We begin to substitute teaching. Teaching. What's the pulpit ministry like for the presence of God? Here's another one. Social action. Now, I'm not against social action. We're, we're called to take care of those who are poor. That's not what I'm talking about. But when that becomes our total focus, that becomes a substitute for the presence of God. Some, some focus on what I would say are the, quote, sign gifts in a church. An experience. Okay? I, I experienced that when I pastored in Canada. I went to, there was this thing that was happening down in Toronto at that time. And I went, you couldn't pastor in Canada without going and seeing what was going on because people would say to you, well, have you been to the blessing? Well, went to the blessing one night, never went back. Was totally oppressed the whole time I was there. There was something there, but it wasn't God. And, and the reality is, Sometimes we can bring experience, whatever our experience is, and substitute that for the presence of God. And so we pursue all these substitutes. And the problem is, is that we, it's because we don't really understand what the presence of God is. Actually, the presence of God is something that God talks about over and over in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. He talks about meeting with us that we will find him, that his presence will be alive in our life. The Psalms talk about it. The historical books talk about it. The New Testament talks about it. So how do we pray for something that, for many of us, we don't even know what that is? Well, that's where I went back to James. And I think it's interesting because I was looking at uh, the messages over these, this as we've been going through these seven things, a lot of them have been coming from the book of James. And that's probably because the James was there from the beginning, at the beginning of the church in Jerusalem. And so these things come out of his teaching. So I want to focus on verses, chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 638. And I just want to focus on the whole issue of drawing near. Because if we're going to pray for the presence of God in, in our midst, we have to be the ones who pursue it. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to be the ones to pursue God. But that's not, let me just go ahead and qualify that, that's not looking for an experience. 
So let me just say that. It's not looking for an experience. But it's actually something so much more. So look with me at 7, verse 7 through 10 of chapter 4. I mean, it starts off very interesting. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. All right, now you're like, whoa, okay, I thought we're talking about the presence of God and wanting God to meet with us. What? I mean, this is actually a whole lot more than just that. Actually, it all fits together. So if you'll just give me your thoughts for the next few moments, I'm going to give you four things to consider as we seek the presence of God, okay? First one comes out of verse 7. He says this, Therefore, submit to God. Now, <clears throat> let me help you to understand what submission is in the New Testament. Sometimes we equate submission to obedience. Actually, it's not. When you go to Ephesians and he says to wives, submit to your husbands, he says to children, obey your parents. They're two different concepts. When you talk about submission, you're talking about placing yourself under someone else. So here's the point I want to make to you. We are called to place ourselves under God's authority. We're called to place ourselves under God's authority. So this is an act of the will. We are basically saying that as we are seeking God's presence, we are saying to him, God, what I want and what I want to be in control of is meaningless. Lord, I am coming to you and I am placing myself under your authority, under your lordship. In Baptist circles for years, we talked about being under the lordship of Christ. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about coming and bowing a knee is another way of saying it, to Christ, to the Lord, to God, and submitting to what he wants out of our lives. So when I come into this place, I'm bowing the knee to what I want and saying, God, you're in control here. You're in control of what you want me to see during a service here or when I'm interacting with this group of believers you're in control as to who you want me to minister to when I'm here, because when we come here, we're not just here to get, we're here to give, okay? We're here to give towards each other in whatever we, way that is. But we place ourselves under the authority of God. So that makes sense then that the very next thing he says then in verse 7 is, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, what does that have to do with the issue of submission? Well, here's the next point I want to make to you. We must resist Satan's attack on our lives. Now, how do we resist Satan? Well, let me explain to you three ways that Satan can attack us. The first one is obvious. Temptation. Right? 
comes to us, he tempts us to what? To sin. From the very beginning in the garden, is that not what he did with Eve? Tempted her with whatever the fruit was. Told her that God was holding out on her and giving, tempting her with whatever would be a fulfillment to her. So we're tempted. Here's the second one. Accusation. He is the accuser of the brethren. What does he accuse them of? When you gave in to temptation. He comes to you and says to you, well, you must not be a good Christian or God doesn't love you because you did this. And it isn't, isn't it interesting? He pretty has a pretty long memory. In fact, our memories aren't that good, but he reminds us all the time of the things that we have done. We'd like to forget them. At that point, you're kind of like, Lord, help me to forget because you forget. Isn't that what the scripture says? God forgets our sins. Satan hasn't. He's continually accusing us. Wonderful passage of scripture is in Zechariah, I believe it's chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. You see Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan. Satan is accusing him. And the Lord says to him, basically tells him to be quiet. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And then he gives him new clothes and a new turban to wear. Talking about the intercession of God for us when we sin. But Satan, what does he do? Tempts us, he accuses us. Here's the big one. He lies to us. One of his biggest attacks is lies. And he will lie to us. And you will be shocked at the lies that you embrace that hinder you in your life. In fact, you know what? I've been a believer now 33 years. Been in ministry over 20. And I just came to a conclusion within the last six months that there was a lie that I had been embracing that was actually hindering me hindering me now it wasn't that anybody lied to me i can't blame well it's the school this or this book or this no no all all that is all that is good it's amoral do you understand what i'm saying not immoral it's amoral it has no morality in it it's what you do with it and 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 satan gets us to the point where we believe a lie about it and it hinders us in our lives he lies to us and we end up embracing these lies. Now, what in the world does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, he lies to us continually about this whole issue of God's presence. Some people are afraid about the whole concept of God's presence because they believe a lie. What's the lie they believe? They believe that it's going to be some weird-out experience where they lose control. What does it mean to let God have control in their life? And so they're afraid of that happening. Folks, that's not anywhere in the historical record of anything like that. None. Not at all. But you see God's presence in the midst and it stirs people because it brings life. But we embrace lies. What do we have to do? We have to resist Satan's attack on our lives, especially in those three areas. Especially in those three areas. Temptation, accusation, lies. Here's the third one. 
It's in verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. We must purpose to draw near to God as we deal with sin in our lives. It is interesting to me that in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, whenever somebody came into the presence of God, their first reaction of being in the presence of God was conviction of their what? Sin. In some instances, they fell down as they were dead. Isaiah, woe is me. You know what I'm saying? John, the revelator, John the apostle, seeing Jesus, the glorified Jesus, Revelation chapter 1, falls down as he was dead. Daniel has the same, same experiences. Ezekiel, all of them, their reaction to the presence of God. Just read the book of Judges. When the, and even Genesis, when they came into the presence of the angel of the Lord, which is the pre-incarnate Christ. Oh, they had see, they weren't like, they weren't like, oh, hi, Jesus, high five, high five, God. No, no, no. They were like in awe of who they were in because they were very much convinced of their sin. But God says, okay, if you're going to draw near to me, you have to deal with your what in your life? Your sin. You just can't make excuses for it. And I think that's one thing that if, if, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, what we need to be praying about our church is, is that we would get serious about our personal sin. I am not talking about that we get serious about sin in the culture. You know what? Unbelievers are going to sin because they're unbelievers, period. But in the church, we need to get serious about our own sin. In fact, isn't that what Scripture says? Judgment begins where? With the house of God. Begins with us. And so if we're serious about God's presence being in our midst, that's a, you've got to, first of all, do you want that? Well, that's a scary thing to ask for because that means I'm going to get confronted with the reality of who I am. But I think we need that. So that brings about the fourth issue here. We're talking about the presence of God in our midst. It comes out in verse 9 and 10. It, it seems odd that he says this. What, he's talking about drawing near to God, but the next thing that comes out of his mouth is lament and mourn. And weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I think this is very key here. This requires a level of brokenness and humility on our parts. Brokenness. What is that? Brokenness over what? I truly recognize my sin. Because when I sin, I'm not placing myself, what was the first thing we talked about? Under submission to God. I'm not placing myself under his authority. When I talk about humility, again, again, I'm, humility is the exact opposite of pride. Pride is, I can handle it, I can do it, I got the brain power, I got the wallet power. We can figure this out. No, we can't. We need God in our midst. We need God in our church. We need God to show up. So this requires a level of humility and brokenness on our part. Okay. 
All right, so we look at a church in Acts, the first church, and we see that there was great fear among them because God was showing up in their midst. How do we pray about this? Well, I think the first thing when we talk about praying about it, the first thing that comes to my mind is really you got to ask yourself the question, do you really want God to show up or not? That's just really the honest answer. Because you can sit there and say, oh yeah, I want the presence of God, but you've got to, really? I mean, because a lot of people say they want a presence of God in their midst, but they don't understand what they're talking about. But when we're talking about God showing up in the midst, yes, that brings life, but that also means that's going to bring change. When God shows up, things change. And the primary place that when that changes when God shows up is in your life. So you've got to ask yourself, prayerfully, do I really want you to show up here, Lord? Then the second thing I think we need to be praying for is, God, what's hindering you from showing up here? What's hindering you? Can you show us? Is it something in my life? Is it something that I'm doing? Is it something that I'm holding on to that I've not confessed to you, that I've not brought under under the blood of Christ, have I, that I'm not bringing under your lordship? Is it something that we're doing as a church? What is it that's hindering you from bringing life to our body? You know, it's interesting. You know, Haggai... Let me, let me uh, God does interesting things. Haggai is, this verse has been speaking to me for over a year now. Let me turn to the Old Testament, to the Minor Prophets. Listen to this from chapter 2. This is the prophet, the Lord speaking through the prophet to Israel. He said, I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Verse 17. He's saying, I was trying to get your attention. I was not blessing the things that you were doing. Because you're ignoring me. And you continue to ignore me. And you're not turning towards me. And, and I think, you know, we have to ask ourselves, okay, what is it that I'm doing that's hindering God's presence from showing up in the midst of our church? And we need to pray that God would deal with that. And then I think the third thing is, is God, make yourself real in our church. Bring a life to our church that draws people here. That it's not the music that draws people here, or it's not George's preaching that draws people here. It's not even the kind of activities that we have here, whether we have good children's programming or not, whether we have great Bible studies or not. It's not the way the facility looks. It's... The presence of God in our midst is drawing them here because they know they have to be here whenever we gather whatever it is 
because God is in their midst. And I think that's what we need to be praying about. Something to think about. Let me pray with you, and then we'll look at our prayer request. Lord, we love you, and I thank you for your love for us, and I just thank you for your word. And I thank you that you call us to draw near to you and that you will meet with us. I think about Jeremiah 29, where you told the exiles that if they seek you, you will be found by them and you will meet with them. Lord, meet with us. Do what you have to do in our lives to bring us to that point. If there's something in our lives that is hindering you from your presence being real in this place, then reveal it. and Deal with us about it. Lord, I'm going to be honest with you. We live in a culture today that is so, I'm talking about a Christian culture that is today that's so distracted, so much in upheaval, Father, they're looking for substitutes for your presence and life is nowhere to be found. In fact, we're dying. Would you show up? Bring life back to your church? I guess that's what revival is, is becoming alive again. Would you bring revival back to your church? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.